Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Andrew Krause and I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight. If you guys could start typing your questions in, I'd be happy to answer them. I'm just going to get a drink of water while people are filing in. Okay, so let's get going, guys. Um, just to kind of paint a picture here for those of you that are new or maybe watching the recording to this some point in the future. Um, I'm going to be doing a whole hour of Q&A. That's really weird. The attendance count went down. That's weird. Anyway, most people join like 15 minutes late. It's been my experience. Um, so what we're all about is licensing. So when you license to a large company, you don't, a lot of people are confused on this. You don't license to retailers. You license to the manufacturers that sell to the retailers. So you don't license to Walmart or Home Depot. You license to that company making a shovel that sells it to Home Depot. So when you do that, you're tapping these large manufacturers' networks. And they have unlimited money for a product that sells well. They already have a giant workforce. And they already have distribution in all the stores where you're going to be. So you get the money, the workforce, and distribution all in one place. And retailers typically like to deal with large companies or at least mid size to large companies that have um, their act together, quite frankly. And they're worried when an independent inventor wants to come in and sell them something. These are retailers that I'm talking about. And they're worried they're not, you're not going to have the right funding. You're not going to deliver on time. There's going to be quality control issues. So our approach is to have you licensed to these large companies. Um, and then, sorry, I'm getting all these texts. I'm going to turn off my... There we go. Do put do not disturb on. So um, they just have everything in place. So then what you get as the inventor is you get a small royalty per unit. So every time they sell a unit, you you get paid. Now you get paid quarterly every three months. Um, but this whole uh, I want to sell you my patent or I want to sell you my invention. You should never say that. You want to license it because they will never pay you what it's worth outright. But as you go over years, or if the product sells for 10 years, they have to pay you royalties quarterly, every three months, um, based on whatever they sell. And so you're gonna earn a lot more money that way. So never use the word, I wanna sell you my patent, or I wanna sell you my invention. I wanna license it to you, okay? I wanna license you this invention. So let's jump in and do some, um, Q&A here. Uh, Kevin said, hello, Andrew, when submitting a, a white sheet, can I also add on a sell sheet if the game I've produced has a play element? Yeah, it, what, what we always advise people to do a, a sell sheet, you know, and it's a one page advertisement for your product. Companies don't have the time to look through a 50 page PowerPoint. Not only that, we say when you have a one-page sell sheet, they need to get the benefit of your product in six to 10 seconds. Otherwise, you're toast. They don't have time for anything else. They don't have time to look through a long rambling email or tons of pictures, and they're trying to figure out what the product is. They don't have time for that. Now, Kevin, it sounds um, you're, what you're submitting has a play element. Um, yeah. And so, you know, you might want to include a video then too, if it's really, now, if they look at the product in a sell sheet and they're like, oh yeah, I get the benefits of this. Great. Sometimes having a little additional video, you just shoot on your iPhone or what have you, and you put it on YouTube unlisted. So literally only people with the link can see it. You never want to publicly disclose your invention when you're trying to license it, but you might have a sell sheet. Then you link to that short video in there showing that play element if that play let's say it's a toy and it flips over in a fun way and that wouldn't be relayed in a static sell sheet you might definitely want to include a short video as well so i don't know if that answers your question hopefully it does um, but you should always include a sell sheet and or a video um, so, so with our students it's either a sell sheet or a video or both okay and it really depends on the product i can't say you should always do a video or you should always do a sell sheet or, oh, if you do a sell sheet, you have to do a video. Or if you do a video, you have to. No, it really depends on the product. Um, and our coaches kind of take a look at it and help the student judge, you know, what makes sense. Um, 
My two cents is their handle says, first, thanks for answering these questions today. Uh, I want my product to be made of a tough, non-toxic material that floats. If I find something that fits, can I demand that, that or is there a give and take with the company and pricing? You should never demand a damn thing from a company you're trying to license to. I'm just making a joke here. The word demand, no, you should not demand they make it out of a particular uh, material. If you really feel strongly that it should be made out of this particular material, then make your case. That's fine. Um, but don't demand. Like one of the one of the things, and I'm just picking up on that word. I'm sure you wouldn't do that. But um, companies aren't just evaluating your product. They're evaluating you. So if if you get it, let's say you're working with the company or you're starting to and and you know you haven't closed a deal yet and on this particular call they get an inkling that you're just adamant that this product needs to be purple and they're like i think pink would be nice and you're like no way it has to be purple and you know i'm just it's a silly example that is the best way to kill a deal they're they're evaluating how easy you're going to be to work with now i'm not saying you're not going to negotiate or debate the contract but if they want to make a pink and you insist on making it purple, let them freaking make it pink. They have a reason to do that. And so, um, you know, I mean, worrying too much that they're going to make it out of this float, floatable material. If they came back to go, oh, this isn't, this is cost prohibitive. And maybe let's say they're a little lazy about finding another material. And you're like, oh, let me see if I can find another material, you know? So you should always be open to working with them. Help them, you know? And just say, you know, I think this is going to be a really great material. I hope that it comes in at a reasonable price. And but let me know if it doesn't. And I'll seek out other materials if 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 you wanted to do that. A lot of times they're figuring out the materials and stuff. But so my two cents, um, hopefully that's helpful. Um, but no, don't demand anything like make your case and let them come back to you. You know, the companies quite often they'll go get some quotes either in the U.S. or overseas, and they'll come back because they will not sign a licensing deal with you until they know they can make it and make it at a reasonable price. Um, so you demanding they need to include a material that's going to make it on an ungodly price, you, you shouldn't be telling them to use that material to begin with if it can't be made at a reasonable price. And, you know, you don't need to go out and get quotes for manufacturing, but you could get some quotes on that material and what it would cost in huge bulk and um, get an idea of it, you know. Um, Young said, well, I was thinking how many of these inventors that are billionaires only need that one idea. How can I think of a successful idea like them that would, that the world needs? I don't think you're looking at it the right way, Young. I think that most ideas are not billionaires even remotely. I think that, um, the media portrays it that way. And they have certain people in the media. I, I like Elon Musk, actually, of all the billionaires. I think he's the coolest one in that he's a smart dude. He's just not a, a business doofus that tries to control things. He's um, he's a bright guy. Um, but the media, oh, my God, like, can I take another story about Elon Musk again? I mean, I, I really like what he's doing, but it's just like, you're inundated with these thoughts that you need to become a billionaire. Like who needs a billion dollars? You know, um, don't do licensing if you want a billion dollars. If you want to be a millionaire, okay, but a billionaire, you know, and and did Elon Musk make all his money with one product? No, not even remotely. He has Tesla. He has the boring company. He has the space. He's putting those satellites in the space so you can get internet anywhere in the world in remote locations. It's not all one product or one company. So the and and I'm just okay. Let me get the rest of it. And being an inventor is a passion and desire. How can I get better at it? Great. That's what I wanted to talk about. It's a total cliche, but you do what you love, the money will come. And he also said, if step if three of my app ideas go get funded, does that guarantee success, or is, could there still be failure? Wow, Young, do you have any business background? Because that's a weird thing to say. Um, nothing guarantees success just because you got funded. Um, and But since you're new to this channel, 
this channel is not about you getting funding, okay? The channel, and you don't need funding when you're licensing. So if you have a new product, let's say it's an app. If you have an app and that gets licensed, they use their money and their workforce and their distribution. You don't need to raise funds. The way you raise funds when you license is that big company uses their funds to launch the product, okay? So, but does that guarantee success or can there still be failure just because your product is funded? Of course it can, could fail, of course. Now, the nice thing, which you'll probably like, Young, is when you're licensing, if the company, the way that we teach our students and our negotiation coach helps the students set the contracts up this way, if, if the company fails, you get it back. You're never selling your idea. You're renting or you're leasing it. That's what licensing is. So if they fail to sell a certain amount per quarter, you, you don't necessarily do it, but you have the right to take it back. You might say, okay, come on, guys. You're violating the agreement here. You don't say it this way. Um, why don't you try this or this? I want to give you another chance. I'll extend the contract another eight months or 10 months to give you some times to do these other things that you said you were going to do. I know you haven't had, you know, you've been struggling a little bit. Let's say this is a company you license to and they're struggling. So you can give them some more time, but you always have the right to take it back. So the beautiful thing about licensing is if they fail, you get it back. Now there might be nothing for you to do with it at that point. You might be like, oh, it didn't work out like I thought because I did all the right marketing. But if you're like, oh no, it was the company that messed up, then you have the right to go take it and license it to somewhere else. So you're never selling your idea, you're renting or leasing it. If they don't perform, you get it back because they will never pay you what it's worth up front. You're like, so let's say I random, I, random, um, uh, example. So let's say it's a product you could earn $200,000 a year on in royalties. Well, if that sells for five years, that's a million dollars. Okay. So this whole like become a millionaire overnight crap, I think it's crap. It's like a disease here in the United States. It's just garbage. So can you make a lot of money with licensing? Yeah, but it's not becoming a millionaire overnight. You know, could it happen? Yeah. But it, you know, if, if you're making 200, and I'm not saying that's a typical royalty, it's all over the map. But if you're making $200,000 a year in royalties and it's sold for five years and you earn a million dollars and you just moved on to other things, you didn't have to run the business, didn't have to risk your own money, that's pretty freaking good. But let's say that product, it was very obvious to both the inventor and the company that had that kind of potential. If you asked for $200,000 up front, well, I just want you to sell you my invention, $200,000 up front, nobody would pay it because they're risking a ton of money to launch this product. They don't know if it's going to be successful. They're risking all their money and their time. And now you're asking for money on top of that and they haven't made a dime yet. That doesn't sit very well with them. Okay. So even like 50,000 up front would be too much on that. Okay. Now, if you have like tooling and you did all this stuff, most of our students just license with a virtual prototype or a crude prototype, which is what I recommend. Um, but if you've done a bunch of stuff, like let's say you figured out all the manufacturing and it's usually I talk to I, I talk to people where that's the case. They were going down this. I'm going to make it and sell it myself route. And they just happen to have that. And I go, well, don't make that mistake again. But hey, that's an asset. Let's utilize that asset to do a licensing deal, make it a little easier for them to get up and running. Do you deserve to get compensated for that? Of course you do. Of course you do. Um, so, Young, um, the whole the whole billionaire thing and you think you only need one idea. I'm not saying you think that don't look for that. Look for a deal that's easier to do that could make you some decent money. But the whole to go from zero to a billionaire overnight with one product, that's just terrible thinking. It shouldn't even be your goal, in my opinion, when, you know, it's like, and I'll say this, it's like when people want to learn, I mean, I know Steve Jobs is dead now or Elon Musk is around and there's other people that people constantly quote like Jeff Bezos from Amazon or whatever. None of these people made things quickly and not, not none of them made billions with one product, not a single one. You could say, oh, well, Jeff Bezos, Amazon, you know how long it took? They were losing money forever. And I don't necessarily agree with his business model, by the way, even though I am an Amazon customer, but um I'm rethinking that, but I, I just, it's so easy. It's such a good to use service. But um, so, uh, you know, but you also mentioned here, you said, oh, you retracted your message. I really like what you said there. You said, you said, if you do what you love, you said something about that. And I truly believe that every inventor should 
you didn't know none of you probably here today maybe there's one i doubt said one day i want to be an inventor like it just happened to you one day it's a passion you want to see your products out in stores and be of use to people and um you know you're like an artist right artists want to see their artwork in people's hallways and in museums and you as a product artist want to see your products in stores and you want to see people enjoying it so if that's first the money will come but trying to program yourself to make billions um i just who needs billions i don't and maybe that's just my personal opinion um and you should go with what you want to do but why don't you make millions before you make billions why don't you learn how to license first before you try these giant licensing deals that are impossible to close which would be a billion dollar potential deal okay um so hopefully that was helpful young i know you're new i'm not beating you up at all i'm just kind of giving you a uh kind of the lay of the land the right mindset um and it wasn't really just for you either it was for everybody um uh, Rome, Marcus here, he says, Marcus here, I often have a hard time finding patents for specific products already in the market. Is there a website that has products listed with their patent numbers? Any advice? Um, well, I'm sure, Marcus, you're aware of Google patents and the patent office website at USPTO.gov. Um, but, you know, sometimes you need to look at um, if you have a particular product, and so you're saying you see something in the market, you need to learn, find, you can Google that product, then find the company website. This is if you're wanting to do this. I don't really find that it's really necessary most of the time, but um, find the company website and then find the company name, like what name are they doing business as? And then you could plug that into Google patents or the patent office site and see all the patents that companies filed. But the reason why you're probably having a hard time finding patents on a lot is because a lot of products aren't patented. This, this weird thought process that some inventors have that all products need to be patented or has to be a patentable idea to license it is not true. I mean, most companies would go broke if they patented every product they sold. So it really depends. Um, but your specific question is you're having a hard time finding patents for specific products that are in the market. Well, they might not have any patents. That's very true. That's true of most products that are in the marketplace. You know, um, a company doesn't bother to get patents. Maybe it's a slight change on something else, that sort of thing. Um, but if you can find the company name for the product, which is usually just Google the name of the product, find the company website, and then, oh, I got now they got the company name, plug that into Google Patents or the Patent Office site, and Google Patents is a little easier to use, and you'll find all the, the products that that um, company is patented and you may see with some companies nothing you know now if they filed it under a different name it might not come up but usually it'll be under their company name so hopefully that's helpful um, so I think don't assume that everything's patented and if something has been in the marketplace for more than a year and nobody got a patent on it that's public domain anybody can do it okay now you can still patent an improvement on it like if you see this um gardening trowel and you see there's eight companies selling exactly the same gardening trowel there's probably no patents on it now maybe you see two companies it says patent pending or something well maybe they got made a slight little change to it and they're just getting protection on that change but the base product has been out in the market for more than a year nobody got a patent on it and that's public domain anybody can do it and so this and i'm not saying you marcus but this thought process that oh there's no patent on that. Like, oh, that's so weird. It's not weird at all. It's normal. Um, so hopefully that helps. Rez said, how might inventors access movie prop department managers to present a unique product for use in film without being part of the Actors Guild or having an industry professional uh, representing them? Okay. So you want to access the prop department managers to present them a unique product for use in film. So you know, this is true of the military. It's true of a lot of different things. You you don't license and you can approach them directly, those prop managers, but I don't know if they're the ones and you can get interest there. But I'm going to give you a broader example and then we'll get back to your specific question. Like if you want to license the military, I just did a video on this. You don't license to the military. You license to a contractor that sells the military. So if a contractor sells 
windshields for their vehicles, like licensed to that military contractor that sells windshields to the military. If you sell contractor sells canteens to the military, licensed to the military contractor that sells canteens to the military. And, you know, if there are certain types, because we don't know what your product is, Rez, um, if there are certain types of products that a movie prop department would use, maybe there's certain companies selling those types of props or functionality to those prop departments, you know, but you know, one thing you could do is you could approach, you could do some pull through marketing. If you could get a hold of some prop department managers and intrigue them with the product, you could even get some quotes from them and they, and they would say, Oh, I want to buy this. And you'll be like, well, if I license this to a company, would you buy it? And they're like, yeah, you know, and then you could even use that as a testimonial. Um, and then when you approach companies that sell props or prop related items, I mean, I'm assuming a lot of the props are all custom made in house. So the question is, would your device or thing be something that they would just make themselves or, or would it be um, something that they would purchase, you know, but if there are companies selling prop related devices, building devices, whatever it is to movie theaters, then you, that's who you're going to license to. But there would, in this particular case, be nothing wrong with reaching out to prop department managers to go, is this something you'd be interested in if I made it, you know? So that's perfectly fine. Um, let's see. Oh, okay. Thank you, Alexandri. Another full hour with Andrew. How generous. We were blessed. It's not because it is every week free that it's not valuable. Please show respect and leave a thumbs up. Thank you, Alexandri. That's that's um, very nice of you. Um, uh, D. Van said, I just built my son's invention prototype this past weekend. That's cool. That's exciting. Um, let us know how old your son is. Um, my daughter's starting to work on stuff. She's like nine and a half. So that would be cool. Um, we have a lot of uh, InventRight students that are husband and wife teams or best friend teams. Um, it was really odd years ago. I don't know how many years ago this was. We had two husband and and daughter, sorry, um, father and daughter teams. And I think one, the father was like 40, 50 something. And then the daughter was like 12. And then the other one was a father. And then the daughter was like eight, I think it was. And they both licensed products um, within like weeks of each other. These two father-daughter teams. I haven't seen any sense. That was kind of unique, but that was kind of cool. So um, really cool if your family's into it and you can share stuff. And then others of you I've talked to, it's like my family. I took this one gentleman. He was interested in the program and he 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 kind of teared up. He was telling me that um, his mom just wasn't at all supportive of him. You know, she sounded like, to be honest with you, a little bit toxic. Um, so I said, dude, just don't share any of your invention stuff with your mom or anybody else that's overly critical. It's just going to bring you down. And that's the really nice thing about having a coach or just coming on this live stream or watching our YouTube show. Be around like minded people. So some of you have friends and family super supportive. Some are just like in between, like, I don't really understand what you're doing, but good for you. And then other ones are like just beating you up about it. I've had uh, both men and women over the years. I've had a few. This is just an interesting insider thing that have sent us a cashier's check because they didn't want to, their spouse to know that they signed up for the program. It's like, whoa, that's pretty serious. That's pretty rare. Um, but I think most people are friendly. But if your family, just going off on that um, tangent, if your friends or family aren't supportive, then don't uh, don't share it with them. You don't need that. This is something that's really important to you. It's like part of who you are, coming up with ideas. You know. Um, uh, okay, so Nicholas said, "How do you license a small change to a patented product? Do you get a PPA on just the change you made." that patented product. Yeah, it's just that simple. So you file a PPA on that improvement. Then, you know, there might be 20 products that are like this product, but you put a hinge on the side that does this, and that's what you're protecting. And you should protect all the different variants of it too. If nobody's ever really done that before, it's really good to say, okay, 
this product's been out there, but I made a slight change. What are the potential issues with making this change and then cover different versions of that change in your provisional, but just pitch what you think is the best version in your sell sheet, you know? Um, so yeah, just get a provisional patent on that change. Um, you know, we, we give our students some software called um, Smart IP to write a provisional. It's only 99 bucks. And for a while there, we decided not to sell it to the public, but we just started again. So if you go to inventright.com and you click on, I think, patent or protection, and you click on a few links, you'll be able to find it there. It is now available for the public again. So that's cool. Um, for a while there, we were just making it available to our students, but we decided to make it available to the public. So Nicholas, you don't need to go out and spend a ton of money with a patent attorney. Now, at the same time, Filing a provisional on your own does you no good if you don't know how to reach out to companies. So a lot of people, they get all excited that they can protect their idea. They can put a stake in the sand because a provisional patent application is not a patent. It's an application, but it gives you that stake in the sand that if you later follow utility, you can reference it. But it's perceived protection. You can put patent pending on your sell sheets. So people get all excited about that. But if you do that, and you don't know how to make your sell sheet, you don't know how to reach out to companies, you don't know how to make a proper list of companies, if the year the provisional gives you is gonna run out. If you don't publicly disclose it, you can file it again, it's not a big deal, and you get another year from your new date. So, but having done this for 21 years, I see the pattern, I see all people filing provisionals, and then they freak out thinking it's gonna run out, and I go like, don't let that attorney take advantage of you, you can just file that again. I said, you make public disclosure, no, I'll just file it again. You're going to spend 10000 on it. You don't even lose any interest yet. That's craziness. Um, so again, and the disclaimer that I'm going to share with now, because everybody seems to join late, is anything I share with you today should not be considered legal advice. Please consult your attorney for legal advice. We are not providing legal advice. So that's my, my disclaimer. Um, so yeah, Nicholas, you can license that change. And quite often, a lot of companies like those small changes. They're kind of risk adverse. They know that these 10 products, which are more or less like yours, are selling. And now this is going to give them a point of difference. So if, if, if essentially the same product was right next to yours, but yours has that little tweak, oh, we know that's selling well. And you got a slight tweak that's going to give us an edge up. Some companies really like that. Some companies don't. Some companies are like, oh, it needs to be really kind of pretty different. You know, they're all different. You will never know which ones they are. You just approach them all. But the, the slight variations sometimes are easier to license than the mind-blowing change. Now, if you guys have these mind-blowing, really cool products, don't go, oh, well, then that's, uh, I guess I won't work on it. No, don't. Don't do that. Definitely work on it. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying some companies like slight changes, some companies like bigger changes. So, But sometimes those slight changes, those risk-adverse companies, which I would say there's more risk-adverse companies than companies that are looking to just innovate through the rooftop, um, you know, uh, realize those deals are a little easier to do. So you should feel encouraged by that, Nicholas. But if you guys have these mind-blowing ideas that are very, very different, don't be discouraged by me, me saying that. Not at all. Okay. Um, uh, let's see. Chavez, a company has inventor, an, a company has an inventor's portal. What do you send them safely? Okay. So he's concerned. So first of all, you know, Stephen and myself were the two co-founders here in InventRight. We've been talking a lot about portals. And, and I'll, I'll say it again because it's very important. If you, are only, if you only approach companies that have a portal on their website, inventors submit your product here, um, you will probably never license a product because you're not approaching a lot of companies that have no mention on their website about inventor submissions. But if you reach out to them on LinkedIn, a particular marketing manager, and ask them if they're open to license. They're like, yeah, sure, send it over. Yeah, sure, I'll take a look at your sell sheet. So it's amateur hour to only go for websites that have portals. And those portals can vary tremendously. It's, it's all over the map. For, oh, they're just on top of it to, it's just an intentional black hole that ideas just go into. And they're just, you know, they can just say, oh yeah, we're open to innovation but they're not really not taking it seriously and they're not even getting back to people. This is worst case scenario. Um, or they're just rejecting everything. Maybe they never get back to you. Maybe they take five months to look at it before they get back to, you know, that's like worst case. And then their best case scenario, they take it really serious. Somebody looks at those very seriously every week, 
They get back to you promptly. Maybe they even give you a little feedback or something like that. Most are somewhere in between. Okay. Um, but there's been websites that I know of, um, companies that I know of, and I won't mention what companies that said, we license stuff all the time, but we've literally never licensed anything through our portal. The, the stuff that we get from, through, from inventors through the portal is just garbage. It's really bad. We still have it there. We're just like looking for a needle in a haystack. Maybe we'll get a good one there eventually. But the stuff we get from other inventors that are proposed, they're not sending through that portal. Okay. So now I'm not saying don't send through a portal. To me, coming at a portal, I go through the portal and then I also try to submit through one of them through LinkedIn or the phone or via email. And they might be like, oh, yeah, send it on over. So um, now Chavez is concerned about safety. So some um, portals will have the submission terms. Read through that. Or it's just a page, you know, or something that you need to comply with. There are some websites, some manufacturers out there, and this isn't typical at all, that says literally whatever you send them, they will own. And I still get inventors like emailing you. What do you think of this, Andrew? I'm like, well, what is there to think about? It says they're going to own your anything you send them, you know, and they're telling you they're not interested in your ideas. And any inventor that would submit would be an idiot, you know, and, and there's not many of those, but I do see them. And so why are you even asking me? I don't I never ask, I never say that, by the way. I just say, yeah, it says right there. You don't, but they were so excited about that company. Oh, but I knew that. And usually it's inventors that don't have 30 companies like we teach our students to do. They have like three and they're just glomming on to their favorite, like few companies that just right in front of their face that they're already familiar with rather, rather than doing their research. Okay. So um, review the terms. And if it says they own your idea, don't submit. Some inventors, it will take you a while to get used to the submission terms. And sometimes it just says they can't agree to keep it confidential. That's pretty normal. If you filed your provisional, like personally myself, I wouldn't care. Um, because they're saying, well, we don't know what you're sending us. Whatever protection you have is what you have. Whatever we've done is what we've done. We don't know what you're sending us. So we can't agree to keep it confidential. And that's pretty normal. And you filed a provisional patent application. And that's very normal. So um, so read through the submission agreement. But in the long run, it's okay to send to some portals. I'm not concerned that these, this is what I'll say. In 21 years of students in 65 countries, I've never had one of our students get ripped off by companies they present to. Now, our students are going direct on LinkedIn, direct on the phone, direct on email. But they're also submitting on portals. And I've never seen one of our students get knocked off by a company they submitted to that I'm aware of. Okay. And that's over 21 years. So, but if it says something like, and I can't mention the names of the companies, I've seen them. Uh, we own your ass. If you send me something, still send to those. And then other times it's like, well, we can't agree to keep confidential. Whatever you have is what you have, or whatever we have, we have. They might use different words for that. Um, that's pretty normal. And inventors will freak out about that too. And then they'll go to their attorney and their attorney's like, oh, we can't comply with that. They have to sign this NDA and then companies won't sign those, you know, cause they imagine you sending an NDA to a company. You have to agree to keep whatever I send you confidential, but I can't tell you what I'm going to send you until you've signed it. It's like use your PPA as your main form of protection. And again, anything I share with you today is not legal advice, consult an attorney before moving forward on anything. Um, but that's practical advice. That's why you see our students licensing stuff all the time because they don't insist on those sort of things. Um, so thank you, Chavez, for that. Um, okay. Uh, Matt uh, said, hi, Andrew, can you recommend a legitimate patent, patent licensing, patent attorney in Las Vegas? If you can, please. So yeah, Matt, if you drop me an email at Andrew and Inventright, mention that I promised to do that for you um, on uh, our, this live stream. So just send me an email at Andrew and Inventright and I'll email you back, okay? Um, let's see. Alexandre, ho, oh, so we cannot be a billionaire with Inventright. I'm out, <laughs> he's joking. Just kidding. Millions is okay. Just kidding again. 20K will please me. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I'm not saying you can't be a billionaire, but I think that a lot of people are brainwashed with reading about Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or 
or Jeff Bezos. And the rules that those people live by at that level are not the same rules you should live by when you're trying to license a product to a medium size or a large or a very large company. So I think you got to live by a different set of rules. And all if you look at all those people, they did smaller things before they became bazillionaires. And I, I really don't like I read interesting articles about Elon Musk all the time. I'm I click on those things too because I'm very intrigued with what he's done. Um, if I see something about Jeff Bezos, I'm like I don't care. I won't get into why I'm not a big fan um, of how things are controlled in the, not the greatest way. Steve Jobs, I, I I have all Apple products, but he was kind of a dick. I mean, he was just a dick, and I don't like people that are dicks to people and don't treat people right. Um, but I admire what he what he's done with the business. Um, I would easily switch from Apple products to something else if there's something better because I don't like the way they run their business with with the way privacy issues. Don't think Apple's into privacy; they're not. Um, privacy issues, manipulating, trying to get you buy a new phone every two years. It's it's terrible for the environment. It's horrendous. Um, so you know, but don't think when people write these articles about about Jeff Bezos or Steve Jobs or Elon Musk that those same rules apply to you. I don't think they do. And um, people will twist those articles and it really has nothing to do with those people or YouTube videos or what have you because they know people will just want to click on the latest thing from Elon Musk, the latest billionaire, and people can dream about being a billionaire. But dream about being a millionaire before a billionaire if, if money motivates you. But I find that most inventors, it's the combination of expressing themselves create, creatively and and the money. It's not just the money. I, I I really haven't encountered very many inventors at all that were all about the money. Um, it's usually a combination or really more heading towards like, I just want to get my products out there, you know? Um, and that's the typical inventor, um, not to make a billion, a billion dollars. Um, uh, Garfield said, hey, Andrew, can you license the same idea to multiple companies? Yes. Um, I've had plenty of new students come on board where I take a look and I'm like, oh, yeah, you can do multiple companies. But most of the time, that's not going to be the case. Um, it might be the case for you. And you can break out licensing deals geographically by distribution channel. Maybe you got a different version of the product, super cheap version, expensive versions, different version. Maybe you got a version for the product that serves different markets. The rule of thumb, which you guys, if you attend my chat, my Q&A regularly is that I always say, if they're stepping on each other's toes, no, you're not going to license. Let's say, um, let's say you got a new kitchen cutting board. You're not going to license to two companies that both sell in Walmart. That makes no sense. One company doesn't have a leg up in the other, right? Um, but if you want to license to a U.S. company that only sold in the U.S., and then you're like, hey, and they're like, well, we want worldwide rights, and you negotiate just U.S. rights. And you can license that over in Europe as well, right? To another company over there. Or, um, you know, maybe they have a product that's going to be selling big box stores, but you got this other version of it's only going to be sold right there at the cash register in convenience stores. And it wouldn't hurt sales of the other one. Well, that's fine. But I think the reason why people want to license to multiple companies is that you think you're going to make more money by licensing to multiple. And yes, that's possible in the right scenario, but licensing to one really, pardon my language, big ass company that has distribution in 30,000 stores and is one of the biggest players in that particular space, whatever you're doing, um, you're just being greedy, you know? So, but if they're like, oh, we want worldwide and you're like, well, you're not there and you're not there and you're not there. And they're like, we want it anyway. And you're like, okay, do I need to assess it's worth compromising these other areas I could go into in order to give this really big company that's going to blow it out there big and be happy with that. Or I, I hold tight and I go, well, you're not in these markets. I want to keep those markets or this other version and you negotiate it. Um, so it, it is doable. I know Steve and other co-founders have been talking about it, but don't be under the, the vast majority of you are going to license to one company. I'm just being honest. And you should be really happy you license this giant big company. You know, that should be good enough for you because when you license to a big company, you are that big company and you can think big. And um, but but, you know, the vast majority of our students are not licensing to multiple companies, nor would it make sense. 
but I have plenty of students, a percentage that I'm like, this makes total sense. And I, I'll, I, I look at, I talked to a guy today and I said, you don't have one product, you have three. And I said, it's one for this market, one for this market, one for this market. I said, it's going to be three different sell sheets. It's going to be three different lists of companies. And so, because he wanted to know if he could license in multiple companies. I said, absolutely with what you're doing here. But it's a different product, essentially, or a variation of it for different for different markets or purposes or geographies or what have you. So I think I rambled long enough on that. But I think a lot of you were um, really wonder about that. So I think it's a great question. I think all your questions are great today. Everybody's. Um, let's see. Let me find somebody. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Tiny says, uh, can you talk broadly about the ways InventRight works with those whose inventions are highly innovative, more complex and larger products that require key cost tailed specs, CAD IP. Okay. Um, uh, but require detailed specs, CAD materials lists in order for a company to assess the cost of manufacture, market fit, and pricing. Um, it's it's the same deal. I mean, what we do is we help the inventor. A lot of times the inventor doesn't realize that there are all these issues. So um, we help them realize there's issues. And sometimes it requires changing the product to make the product more licensable. Okay. And the inventor is perfectly fine with that. Oh, well, you know, God, if we do it like this, it's going to be ridiculous. And it's going to be like a hundred bucks. And yeah, I think people in this space are only going to pay $24.95. So let's change it up. So a lot of times you'll change it, but um, most inventors think their idea is a big idea. It's just, again, pulling from my 21 years of experience. And whenever I, oh, I have a big idea and I look at it, I'm like, no, you have an idea. And it's just the definition of the word big. Like, what do you consider big? You know, I mean, um, now, you know, everybody thinks it's big because they're excited about it and that's fine. Um, I, I think I think a big idea is an idea that, you know, is is earning you kind of insane royalties, insane volumes and all that. So, um, Tiny, um, if you have a more complex product, um, the, our coach would go or one of our coaches would go over with you. What are those complexities? How can we tackle those issues? A lot of times we don't tackle the issues because we know the company can. And there's some little issues that need to be worked out. But I think the biggest thing as far as manufacturing goes is can it be made? And can it be made at a reasonable price? And a lot of times just by looking at even though your product is complex, maybe your change to it's not that complex. And it's like, well, that and that and that is being done. And your change is pretty simple. So it verifies the company. Well, I know we can make this thing. And you don't even understand all the complexity of the product, but you understood your change, right? Um, now, if it can be made, but it's going to be made at a ridiculous price, well, that's not going to work. So we, we guide our students to ask those questions, make draw conclusions by looking at similar products. Most of the time, our students are not out there getting manufacturing quotes because whatever quote you get as an independent inventor is going to be like ridiculously high price compared to what this giant company is going to get. So I don't think you need to go out and get manufacturing quotes. But if there are some issues, like I don't know if this thing freaking thing can be made, you know, a coach would guide the student through reaching out to maybe contract manufacturers to, to figure things out and tweak the product a bit, you know, and if your product is really complex, it might be required. But it might not. I've seen some very complex products where the person's improvement is is doable, but the product's complex, but the product kind of already exists or exists in some way, shape or form. So why are we worried about that? When the company looks at it and you re refer to these other products, which is OK to do, and they're like, oh, well, that confirms that could be made. And we just need to figure out this piece of it. So I can't say for sure, Tiny, but um, it really it, we you asked how it's different when a product is more complex and that's we just get into the weeds of it and i can't really give you an example because we can't share publicly a product here but if, if we looked at a physical product i could go through all that you know with with the inventor you know but we can't do that because it's a public forum but that's what we do um 
Uh, Richard said, I have a working prototype for a new type of small electronic hold or case. Okay. Um, but I don't know what is the next step. Should I first get a PPA? No, you should never first get a PPA when you get when you come up with an idea. 100% of the time, it's never the first thing you should do. You should take a look at all the other products in the micro category of your invention, not with a chip on your shoulder. I'm going to prove there's nothing like it. Like, look at all the other products in the same space. You know, it's a small electronic hold or case. Okay, it's holding or encasing something. So you should know all the other products in that space. And Google Images is a great technique for doing that. Study the marketplace, really study it. Because I can't tell you how many times where I've had people interested in the Eventrite program. I get on a, a it's a sales call because I'm talking about the program. And they tell me what the product is and I Google it and I find it in 10 seconds. And I'm like, what's this? And they're like, how did you find that? I'm like, I spent 10 seconds searching and I found this. You know, so... Yes, you, you want to prove there's nothing exactly like it, but really if there's things somewhat like it, that can be a good thing. So, um, uh, so don't file a PPA first. Absolutely not. Study the marketplace first. Not even worth your $75 to file a provisional because a lot of times, you know, once you study all the other products, you're going to make some changes. Problem is longer inventors have been dreaming something up, the more it becomes fixed in your brain and the more resistant you are to changing it and just saying, oh, that's junk, that's junk. Mine's better than that. Mine's better than that. But if when you come up with an idea literally the same day or the next day, you're looking at other products, your mind is more malleable and you're more willing to change your product based on what you've been thinking about. But if you think about it for two years, it becomes fixed in your brain and inventors lose their creativity. Not all inventors, but most inventors lose their creativity. And then when they do their market research to look at their products in a space, they're, they're doing it with a bias that if you just look at it really quickly, Richard, after you come up with an idea, that's better. Okay. So there's some tips. That's for everybody, really. Um, uh, Jeff is asking, what if some websites require you have a URL or a website? Just, just put doesn't apply in that field. You know, and that's, that's one thing that I'll, again, I was telling you guys, Portals are not the best way to license your inventions. And if you just look for companies that have portals, you're missing out on a ton of companies that are like, yeah, send it on over, but there's nothing on their website about it. Okay. Um, so, but if you are submitting to portals and there's some form there and it's asking for a URL, people go, well, I just have a provisional patent. I don't, it says, what's the patent number? I'm like, just write patent pending, you know, just write, write it. If the field will take it, great. If not, enter a bunch of random freaking numbers. If, and now Jeff is asking, well, if there's a URL, a website that's required because they want to see my website, it's like when you're licensing, you don't have a website, nor do you need it, nor should you feel deficient that you don't have one. You don't want to publicly disclose your product and just put doesn't apply. I don't care. Do whatever to get your product in there. That's fine. You know, but I think some inventors, they just like want to follow the rules for these portal sites. It's like just the only thing you want to do. Here's here's what is going to be helpful, you guys. You want them to see your freaking sell sheet or video. That's all. Everything else is ridiculous. These websites that ask, describe your invention. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Like there's some websites like this, like put your, put your sell sheet in Dropbox or some sort of file sharing service and put the link in there. So people are like, there's no place to upload my sell sheet. I'm like, put it on a file sharing service and, and put the link to it in there. And right there, they can click on and link it. And don't just say, see sell sheet, see sell sheet, see sell sheet on everything. And go around their rules a little bit. And the, the thing is, if they see something that's intriguing, they won't care if you didn't put in your website URL or patent number. You just put patent pending instead. They don't care. They just want a good product. So don't worry too much about it. I'm not saying don't comply with what they're asking, but... If there are fields that aren't applicable to you, you want them to see a sell sheet. And I think websites where it just says, give us a, a sentence to describe, I mean, like without seeing a sell sheet, without seeing a marketing piece, that's like the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. A website that, that doesn't let you include a sell sheet or a video because that's a marketing piece. They can't make a judgment with a written statement about your product. Are you kidding me? And most inventors, that's hard for the most incredible marketers to do. And most inventors um, really suck at that. So you shouldn't be doing that. You should be doing a marketing piece that does the selling for you. So, wow, I had really strong feelings on that one, didn't I? Um, let's see. Um, 
I'm going to jump around to try. Um, hmm. Yeah, Jeff said, Jeff, I guess it's Jeff. I, uh, his name's Rez or Jeff. Um, he, he's inquiring about something he wants to sell to film crews. Um, look in the film crew directory, usually on file with the film commission at the state. Most are working pros and listed in the directly. Yeah. So I'd approach some of those people on the film crews, um, Jeff or Rez, whatever you want to go by, um, and, and see if they're really interested in the product. And then you can let, you know, who would you normally buy this from? Would you make it yourself? Ask them and then go after those companies. Maybe they even tell you what companies they typically buy stuff from. Um, but I'm a little concerned. The film industry is pretty big. And there's a lot of sets. I don't know what your product is. I don't know if it's going to do as much volume that would warrant doing a licensing deal. Because, guys, if, if you sell a product that's only going to sell 500 units a year and it's $29.95, you're not going to be very happy with those royalty checks. The whole point of licensing is tapping into that huge volume. And sometimes you'll have a product that's this is $1,000 product. And no, they're not going to sell half a million a year but they're going to sell a certain amount. You So you do the calculations. The calculation is the royalty rate, the price of the product, and then the volume being sold. And you don't know what volume is being sold until you talk to those companies to give you an idea of what you're doing. But if it's something specifically for film sets, you know, part of me is like, oh, that might be niche, but it might not. You know, I don't know. Um, so you got to figure out, uh, Jeff, if if like this particular product is high enough volume, go... Well, how many film sets are, how many of these guys sell? I don't know if it's disposable or reusable. And would the royalties add up? Hey, maybe it's a $20,000 um, thing for, you know, moving a camera around. I don't know. And, you know, if they sold 500 a year, you'd be great. You know, it all depends. But so hopefully that's helpful for you and everybody else. So I try to give answers that are like, oh, that would it might apply to me in the future, too. So, um William said, I realize that ad specialty suppliers are hard to find out there, but but do any of your inventors work on promotional products? Yeah, okay, so this is an interesting question. We'll probably just do one more after this. Um, uh, well, this is from William. Promotional products are a weird industry, guys. It's weird, um, but you can totally license them. So what's a promotional product like? I don't think this, this isn't like a pen. This pen doesn't have an ad on it, but you put the name of the company on a pen. Maybe it's a notepad. Maybe it's a bazillion. You guys know what promotional products are. They're freebies. You give away and you put your company name on there, right? And so that market is really weird, guys. The trade shows, they don't let you in. I've never seen trade shows that are so controlling. I think there's two major promotional product associations. And then they, and there's a lot of different players there. Now, William, I'm going to give you some very specific help. And if you guys are ever working on a promotional product, this will be helpful for you too. There's different players and I'm not going to be super articulate in covering this, just give a general uh, broad idea. There are companies that literally, they just buy these promotional products and then they pad print on it and then they deliver it to the corporation that ordered these pens with their name on it, right? That's not the company you would license to, right? And then there are um, distributors like in between, like middleman, like that, like you start this little franchise and then they sell to those guys that then sell direct to the consumer, right? And so that gets people, inventors get confused on that in the promotional products industry as well. And then there are the companies that you would probably go to most of the time. And they're the ones making the pen that sells to the promotional company that might even then sell to the fran franchisee. But if you've got a new medium for putting advertising on as a promotional product, you're, you want to license to the companies that are making the product and selling to the franchise or promotional product company. It's a weird distribution channel. You're absolutely right, Greg. It's very weird. Um, it's very doable. You can make a lot of money there. But um, I would say it's a little bit harder. Um, so let's see if there's anybody here that I. <laughs> OK, I like this. Um, Richard said, uh, I think maybe somebody was asking questions. Uh, Richard said, 
just just in case he doesn't get to your question, no, they want us to work on it ourselves so we learn the process in order to do it over and over again. So yeah, I mean, but I wouldn't say, Richard, it's just we want you to work on it yourself, but when you're with us, as when you're a coaching student of ours, we're holding your hand through it all. Like every week we're talking to you and every week uh, you're emailing your coach and they're moving you forward and then our negotiation coach jumps in. So like we're on you and like, this week you're going to do this. So it's that's that you don't feel like you're all by yourself, but we expect our students to do the work, Richard. You're absolutely right. Thank you for clarifying that to everybody else. If you want to find a company to do this for you, you're going to find an endless list of scam artists. And they're called invention and promotion companies. And the Federal Trade Commission, the Patent Office warns against them. Basically, you could have a lump of coal. They're going to tell you it's great. It doesn't matter what it is. And they're going to say, we have all the contacts. We have, like, we can do anything. You know, we have all that. We don't, you don't need to do anything. We'll do it. And they ask for 10 or 12K typically. That's what I've seen. And they pretend to work on it. And God knows who, if anybody, they're sending it to. Maybe they, they spam a few people. Yeah. And the contract says they need to submit your idea to industry. So if they send a few spam emails. They made their 10 or 12 grand over the period of a year. And I personally, I'm not talking about any company in particular, I have never met an inventor ever that has had an invention promotion company license a product for them. But here at InventRight, Sylvia and Dana, who do sales, and myself as well, every day or every other day at the very least, we talk to somebody who's been taken for 10 or 12 grand. And they're kind of licking their wounds and going, oh, this happened to me a couple of years ago. And, you know, I wish I'd known about you guys. I just didn't think this is something I could do myself. And so if you look for somebody to do this for you, you're just going to be in a world of hurt and you're going to find an endless list of shysters. They're not going to steal your idea. They just want your money. You know, but if you empower yourself and you go directly to these companies and you realize that, you know, two to six hours a week, you can do this. Anybody can license products. It's not rocket science, but you have to go out of that mode from just dreaming up ideas to actually working on them and tinkering or thinking about your idea over and over again. That's not working on it. Making a sell sheet, filing your PPA, making your list of companies, reaching out to companies on LinkedIn, all the boring stuff. That's when the rubber meets the road, that's when things can happen. So, um, okay, uh, this is well, one last one, and then um, from Duke, and then I'm going to call it a night. And just let you guys know if I didn't answer your question, if you jump on earlier. I always answer the questions in order. So I'll, I've skipped a few now because I was trying to give some variety here to some people, but um, I'll answer your question if you jump in earlier next time. I just can't get to them all, guys. And an hour is pretty generous. So if you guys, before I answer Duke's question, do me a favor. Um, we would love to get to 80,000 subscribers sometime soon. We're at 56, 57, somewhere around there right now. So if you're not subscribed, click subscribe below, click the notification button. Watch a whole bunch. We have over 800 videos on our channel. Watch a whole bunch of our videos and give us a thumbs up. That's the way you can say thank you to me for giving you a whole hour of my time and answering your guys' questions. Um, Duke said, hi, Andrew. You patent your idea, prototype and license it to a company. Then they redesign it and produce the final product to the market. Is there a need for a new patent for the production version? That's exactly why it's, it's very dangerous to file a patent. Because if you spend 10000 on a patent and then they're like, oh, we need to change some things. You're like, oh, crap, I need to do that again. If you spend $75 on a provisional patent, all along the way as you're working with the company, you can file another provisional, another provisional. And then they're like, oh, already launched. Then you could file a full utility and you can reference all those provisionals. You probably want to do that before you launch. But really, you can say patent pending. That's fine. Um, so yes, you might need to, and that's why if you just file a $75 provisional, it's not a big deal. You file another provisional or just file a full utility, throw it in there and reference your older provisional and you got it covered. So, and you should always be thinking Duke about the next version of your product, the next iteration, how you can expand it into a product line. So if the product you license is starting to sell well, provide them with the next iteration to keep them on top, provide them with an expansion. Um, to that product line or what have you. That's when we look at our InventRight students that license multiple products, they're almost always licensing multiple products to the same companies they already licensed to to expand certain product lines, okay? 
Um, because why not take advantage of that relationship that you built up? So yeah, you might need to file additional protection as you work with the company. And that's why it's so important to file a provisional rather than spending a 10,000 on a patent because you don't want to have to spend another 10,000 on another patent, right? And, and so that's a really, really great, great question, Duke. Um, so Tiny, thanks for the compliment. You said really well done, Andrew. Uh, Rudy said, thank you for the live chat. Uh, Ellen said, thank you, Andrew. This was great and very informative. Um, so thank, thank you guys. Didn't get to absolutely everybody. I never can. But like I said, if you try to ask your question sooner in the hour, um, I'll most likely get to you. Um, I want to just say, if you go to inventright.com, I'll type the URL in here. All right, typed in all caps, didn't mean to yell. But if you go to inventright.com and then you click on free resources in the upper right-hand corner, we have a ton of free resources. We have a year-long webinar series that's free. We're not trying to pitch you our course in there. As you guys can tell, we're really mellow. We don't, we don't like, and if any of you want to book, a, if you also go to inventright.com, you click on contact us and you book a call to talk to Sylvia or Dana. Occasionally you get me, most of the time it's Sylvia or Dana. Um, about the program and you're just like trying to figure it out now, not ready yet, they'll be completely chill. They'll talk to you about it. They'll leave you alone. They might follow up, send you an email or something, but they're not going to hound you. And so don't hesitate to do that. We're really friendly folks. Um, so I want to remind everybody to take care and keep inventing and we'll catch up with you guys next time. See you guys. Bye.